To what's this Dao all about? A lighthearted look at Taoism featuring Dr. Carl Totten and Todd Perry. Carl is the founder of the Taoist Institute in North Hollywood, California. Todd Perry knows a little about Taoism and is mainly here because he owns a few microphones. Now, let's learn what's this Dao all about. And welcome back to What's This Dow All About? My name is Todd Perry, and next to me is the great Dr. Carl Totten. Good morning, all. Well, let's see. Let's jump right into it here. Um, an interesting story that is going on in the news. I guess you know, in the Taoist news. That's what they need every morning. The Taoist news. And then the guy wakes up and goes, oh, "It doesn't matter." <laughs> How are you? You know? How are you feeling internally? Yes. So um, this was actually by a Taoist priest, and he wrote a, an article about why Taoism isn't suitable for children. Uh, and now I know there's a lot of people out there that have kids that listen to this show. Like I just became among the people with kids. And so the the question remains, you know, how do you introduce ideas such as Taoism into the child's lives? Do you do it? Do you not do it at all? Do you do it subtly? Um, and what and, and a bigger question is what can children handle when it comes to things like spirituality and these big ideas? Because personally, I know that a lot of people who are 50 who hear of the Tao and just shake their heads. So, you know, I mean, but then maybe the mind of a child, which is pure and not broken into the 10,000 things like ours, might be even better at uh, understanding it. But so let me get into this. This is by a Taoist priest, actually, named uh, Lang Jingyang. Got close to that, I think. But, uh, As a Taoist priest, one of my main responsibilities is spreading the Taoist faith and culture. Several days ago, one of my disciples told me that he, she had decided to formally convert her five-year-old child to Taoism. Those not acquainted with the Taoist faith might assume I would be happy with the news. After all, there would be another Taoist disciple in the world, and the religion would continue being passed on from generation to generation. But in reality, I was furious. Converting to a religion is a serious commitment. People need to be resolute when choosing a new faith. It's a huge responsibility, and there's a lot that you need to give up. This is why I strongly objected to my disciple's choice to convert her young child. I believe becoming a follower of Taoism is something that a person needs to decide on their own. And I can't, I can't accept an adult forcing a young, unsuspecting child into the religion. Taoism requires sacrifice and clarity of mind. And it's something that a person shouldn't enter into unless they're old enough to give consent. Taoism advocates teaching children a wide range of traditional knowledge. But I believe that depriving a child of their right to choose religion is unacceptable. 
My disciple's faith should remain separate from her child's. Taoism requires sacrifice and clarity of mind if it's something that a person shouldn't enter to until they're old enough to give consent. I read that sentence twice. We must be vigilant in ensuring the teachings of Taoism is spread in the most justifiable way. Our children's future is full of excitement and possibilities, and we should provide a safe space for them to grow. We shouldn't decide their futures for them or deprive them of the right to choose their own religion. Now, Dr. Carl, what are your thoughts on this here? Well, uh, you know, so the question, should we, quote, indoctrinate our children into Taoism? <laughs> well, first of all, indoctrination is never part of Taoism in the first place, so that answer is no, we should not. And also, you know, the type of Taoism described in this article seems very culture-specific to China and is not applicable to modern life in the U.S. or most Western countries anyway. Now, what is that practice like? Because here, um, from kind of the, the practice of Taoism that I get into is pretty much I read the Tao Te Ching. I read some, some books about Taoism. I read Changsu. Um, and then I kind of almost make up my own practice based on what the mm -hmm. books say. It's a, very, it's a very personal thing. I don't go to a, a church, really, to, to practice it. I speak with you about it and our listeners and don't really talk to anybody about it in my personal life, honestly. Um, very people who even know me closely even know about it. Uh, so, and that's kind of a practice I put together. And if you were to say, create a Taoist church, Todd, it would probably be much different than if you went to maybe a Taoist church or a temple in China, mm -hmm. or different than there, there's a temple out here in um, El, Monte. El Monte that I had been to. And I found the teaching, the class with the, the teacher, Derek Lynn, was great, him talking about it. But the actual practices and rituals of it were kind of bizarre and foreign and really did nothing for me. That's what I meant when I said you know, much of that is very culture-specific mm -hmm. to old China. Yeah. Remember, Taoism is not just uh, one thing. <laughs> it yeah. has many different heads. Yeah, 10,000 things. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. The ten, yeah, maybe 10,000 heads. <laughs> you know, there's this old traditional kind of organized, at least, yeah, organized religious Taoism, the so-called Orthodox Taoism, mm. that was practiced in monasteries up on mountaintops that had all sorts of restrictions. Uh, in yeah. fact, let me quote this priest here which requires them, this, I'm quoting, which requires them to follow a strict set of rules on how to live their lives. It feels very yeah. undaoist. <laughs> it's like the opposite. You see, so that's one type of Taoism. Then there's another type of, uh, that's, again, orthodox religious Taoism as practiced by, especially by priest, yeah. monastic priest. And then there's the more of the philosophical Taoism, like, we've been more speaking about from the Tao Te Ching, right. uh, you know, where that, that, is, that is not specifically uh, attached to one culture and doesn't have all of these specific religious strictures, you know, you can't do this and you can't do that, you can't marry, you can't have children, and you can't have sex, you have to eat only certain types of food, and on and on and on. You know, th those are things that are, again, more appropriate to old China and to persons who have taken monastic vows. Yeah. But philosophical Taoism is, is what, of course, is spread around the world and made the Tao Te Ching, you know, the second most widely translated book in the world after the Holy Bible itself. Right. And it's touched 
millions and millions of lives who would not who would never follow the again that strict set of rules right. you know that that priest was talking about and then there's kind of popular Taoism, I guess, the, you know, today, and we, you know, we're a little bit of a voice of that, although I am, you know, ordained and um, certainly have, have, have read, you know, all of these ancient uh, texts, or many of them. And, th and then there's even kind of a, a type of um, almost yogic Taoism, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, re relies on uh, internal uh, meditative uh, practice and internal alchemic practice, you know, that utilizes, um, you might say it's searching for the ancient philosopher's stone, if mm -hmm. you will, mm -hmm. you know, trying to convert uh, base elements into higher consciousness and to try to free the, the spirit from the bounds of just the physical being. Um, and so th there are different types of Taoism and different ways to approach it. And so I, I even though I think that he got to the right answer through a kind of a circuitous route saying mm -hmm. that, no, you know, we're, we're very strict and you don't want to impose this strictness on a child. They need to be old enough to make up their own mind. Right. And I agree with that. Um, I, I, I would say that uh, for a different reason <laughs> yeah. than, than what he articulated. Yeah. Now, on the other hand, parents you're searching for guidelines about how to raise children you know if, you know if if you i think if a parent near you're a new parent here yeah. todd and i think you've probably found many helpful aspects about uh, life and about yourself that have helped you as a as a new father and work in raising a child yes you know because raising a a, a, a baby is it's tough. It's difficult. It's challenging. And you've had you've used your practice to become, you know, more open and more uh, tolerant and, and you know less exasperated and, and open to change. To open to change. You see, so all of this is very helpful for parents and you know and anyone who's part of a family to be more open and tolerant and compassionate and listening and seeing all sides of, of things and allowing things to kind of. Uh, find their natural way and go with that flow. That's all very Taoist, and I, I I would love to see more children raised with values like that. Frankly, yeah, and I think the best educators that you see of children are those with big, open-hearted. Yes, and when the the best way to teach somebody, one of the best ways to teach somebody is to let the person uh, build the understanding internally, right? And and so if if you learn a lesson. Uh, if I say, here's this information, and you learn the lesson yourself, it's going to be 10 times more valuable and stick with you much more than I beat it into you through rote. Yes. It'll just go away. In fact, it's much better if you just simply become a role model and uh, teach by example. Right. And, and then people will say, wow, look at that. Well, well, that's something to think about. I never thought about, uh, you know, behaving that way or having that perspective or kind of living a, a, a lifestyle that that's that's so tolerant and so respectful and so compassionate, you know, and yeah. and, and and so centered and grounded. Yeah, how, how'd you get that way? <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's funny because, and I, I, I agree, I agree with the uh, author of this because also, as a child, I was. I was raised in a very, very devout um, Christian family by my mother. And we went to church every uh, Sunday. And uh, it was very just, it was a very big part of my life growing up. I was a youth 
pastor, kind of. I used to run the youth group and uh, do like many youth sermons and things like that. And I think the thing was, uh, looking back, uh, I, it wasn't something I ever chose, right? And then second of all, and, and second of all, it was, I can re- recall being a child and, you know, you're four or five years old and some guy's telling you you're going to go to hell, huh. right? Which I, which to me is tantamount to child abuse, right? The kid doesn't know how to doesn't know up from down. The kid barely knows the alphabet, and you're explaining to him yes. if this nebulous guy out here who you, you can't see him, right? But, <laughs> and he, can, but he can see you. <laughs> he can see. He's watching everything you do. It's kind of like Santa Claus. He knows when you're asleep. He it's knows when similar. you're awake. <laughs> very similar. And he knows when you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. Yeah, I mean, talk about giving a kid a complex where you're going to burn in hell for all oh eternity, oh five-year-old. Wow. And I can, looking back on that, and I'm thinking, that's just, that's just horrifying. I would never want to take my child, but I think, you know, six months seems like a good kid. I would never beat that into him. Like, I'm not, I'm not a, you know. Not terrible. You know, so I, I don't understand that. And then, like, how does a child, like, you know, if most uh, adults have a hard time comprehending this kind of cryptic, nebulous, metaphorical thing that takes a lot of subtlety and study to get into, how is a kid going to ever get that? You know, right. so right. I, you know. And, and, you know, much of that, what, no matter what the faith tradition uh, you, you know, in hist- again, you have to look to history. And very often, again, no matter what the faith tradition, it became attached to and embedded within the ruling power mm. elite, the government, if you will. Yeah. It was the religious uh, authorities. And uh, certainly, obviously, in Christianity, that became a very powerful part of the tradition. Still is. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> yeah. And so you look back at the Crusades and you know, things like that, and uh, you, you can see you know, where uh, really I, I think the, the, the overarching uh, theme was control. Mm-hmm. Control. And they often seem to use religious injunctions in order to uh, sanctify that control and, and, and kind of give it a veneer of uh, spirituality. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's why I think that you, any uh, faith tradition, any religious tradition, you have to really look at you know, what, what you know, the, the progenitor, the founder or founders of that tradition typically had almost always a profound spiritual experience. Mm. But now, hundreds, if not thousands of years later, how many people are having those types of experiences, but rather instead are following, you know, a rigid set of practices and rules and regulations, again, designed to control their life? And living by assumptions, which they never put together in their own way, but just someone told them and they never really even... Consider exactly. That's why Taoist, at least from my tradition, we say the highest authority really is the individual. But the but that requires an enormous responsibility too, mm-hmm. <laughs> because you can't just go with what you think, you know. Because we you know all human brains by design are polarized: this, that, right, 
wrong you me and in other words it's a bastion of separation <laughs> right. and yet Lao Tzu is saying no 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 from the first first things out of his mouth the Tao that can be spoken is not the eternal Tao yeah. because we're not because you're talking about language you're talking about words and words are coming from this polarized brain mm -hmm. and so we have to find another way that's more inclusive uh, you might say going into the heart, if you will, a place of unity consciousness that embraces the totality of our experience of existence without being painted into a corner so much. Mm -hmm. That allows us to become much more tolerant and to be much more expansive as opposed to contractive, which ultimately includes so much more of reality. Mm -hmm. This reality, this universe, perhaps even multiverse, is more vast than our little brains, polarized brains, can even imagine. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that, is, that connection is what I hope that through some of these meditative practices that uh, our, ourselves and our listeners will move towards. Now, uh, if you're listening to the show, replay the last three minutes of Dr. Carl right there for a five-year-old. And ask them if they understand what he just said. <laughs> Probably didn't. No, they will not. You know, actually, I'm writing a book right now called uh, "Every Everything You sh You Should Have Learned." Uh, every Everything that's important you should have learned in kindergarten. Right. I'm actually you, writing a book like you, that. You right should now. have learned. Yeah, not, you should not have that learned. You did. No, not that you did. You probably didn't. But right. it's subtitled "P.S. It's Never Too Late." <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You should be. Um, my wife would love that. She's a kindergarten teacher. Aha. So it'll give some things that maybe she'll be like, oh, maybe yes. I should teach that. Yeah, uh, so is my sister. Oh, cool. <laughs> she teaches the young ones too. Oh, yeah. Whew. Uh, let's see here. So, but, you know, but some of these notions like about yin and yang and, you know, and balance and harmony and, and certainly some of the practices of, of meditation and, you know, being, being mindful of things and learning how to be more um, accepting and learning how to find your own inner nature, what, you know, what resonates true for you yeah. and how to follow your own path. You know, these, these are, that's all very Taoist, and I think that even a five-year-old can understand that. Oh, even definitely. a two-year-old can understand right. much of that. If you, again, you have to say it in, you know, kid-friendly language. Right. You know, I was a school psychologist for about 25 years. Yeah. And so I had to learn how to speak to the 18-year-olds and the four-year-olds. Right. <laughs> and it's a different voice. Different language. It's a different language. Yes. So uh, with that, we're going to move on to, uh, speaking of school, we're going to move on to uh, my ongoing book report about uh, Chong Su's inner chapters. And I hope that every time I get to this, uh, I pronounce Chong Su better than before. Uh, let's see here. Uh, for those of you who are new to the show, uh, this is the third time. I was actually going to finish the book and do the final one, uh, but there was so much good stuff in Chapter 6 that I stopped there. Um, <laughs> Chong Su, I guess inner chapters would be seen as kind of... Um, they, uh, these, a companion piece to the Tao Te Ching and probably the second mm -hmm. most important or third, depending on uh, where, where one places the I Ching uh, in, in, their, in the Taoist canon. And I always, I kind of see Changsa as, he's kind of like the Mark Twain of Taoism. <laughs> you know, his stories are kind of allegorical and they're funny 
and but they're they're deep and meaningful and reveal something about the human condition and in in this case they reveal something about the Taoist condition and now in the beginning of chapter six which is called the great master Chong is talking about what what he refers to as I guess let me crack this open real quick flipping through here uh, he he's talking about a true man, which is kind of the, the man of the old ways, um, which is basically the true man of old, is what Chong is saying. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Carl, but the, the basic idea is that before modern times, or modern times that is described in Chong's day, which I think was like 300 BCE, it feels like, mm-hmm. um, before then, they in kind of in Taoism, they talk about a time many years ago when kind of man lived naturally in harmony, uh, when when man was not hadn't really divided up the world into the ten thousand things, when man wasn't kind of as dependent on technology, when man was a little more rural, a little more pagan, to put it in the Western sense, that the man was kind of complete before this almost kind of downfall, which which led us to the current state. Am I correct? Yes. In fact, I'm re- actually reading from chapter 6 here. You know, where, where uh, he says, but what is a true man? <laughs> the true man of old did not mind being poor. He took no pride in his achievements. He made no plans. Thus, he could commit an error and not regret it. He could succeed without being proud. Thus, he could climb mountains without fear, enter water without getting wet, and pass through fire unscathed. This is the knowledge that leads to Tao. Right. And the funny thing is you read the exact part that I've highlighted right here. <laughs> in the Great book. minds think alike, right? That's right. We have the same exact book here, too. <laughs> um, yeah, so he, he, he's kind of talking about this ideal man. Uh, he took no pride in his achievements. He made no plans. Thus, he could not commit an error and not regret it. Um. The true man of old slept without dreaming and woke up without anxiety. Wouldn't that be amazing? (laughs) Wake up without anxiety. His food was plain. His breath was deep. For the breath of a true man rose up from his heels while the breath of common men rises from their throats. Hmm. When they're overcome, their words catch in their throats like vomit. And their lusts and desires deepen and their heavenly nature grows shallow. And by the way, uh, embedded in their were some secrets. <laughs> yeah. This thing about um, uh, the breath of the true man rose up from his heels. And there's an old uh, saying in the, the Tao, Taoist literature, about breathing from your heels, mm. by the way. And, and the, you're taking in the earth, right? Y- yes, it's absolutely. Like your heels are like a straw to the earth. Exactly. You know, there, there's kind of a, a energy opening points uh, in the heels. And part of our practice, uh, you know, when we're doing the so-called macrocosmic orbit of the circulation of the energy or chi in the body during meditation is to actually a, a lot, using your consciousness to move towards the center of the earth and imagine you're kind of like a tree and you have mm-hmm. these deep roots and you're drawing up this kind of earth energy 
up from the center, which has, of course, enormous power, yeah. <laughs> and it's coming. And then, but then, in your human body, you're you're drawing this energy up through your heels, up to the center of your spine, to the top of your head, mm -hmm. and then down the center part of your body through what all of the uh, in Hindu would be called the chakras yeah. points, right? And 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 then it goes back down through your legs and out of the soles of your feet. And then the process just continues over and over and over. And so when you breathe that way, with that intention, it grounds you to the earth and to reality in a way that if you aren't breathing this way, you can't even imagine how powerful this is. So you don't know, you don't go out the head. Like I was reading, I got the book you had suggested before I just started reading it. Um, the meditation book. It's coming to me. Quiet Sitting? That one? Tranquil Sitting. Tranquil Sitting. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which was about quiet sitting. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, depending on the translation. Tranquil Sitting, yes. And the guy, uh, um, the master who wrote the book, discusses how he learned how to eventually take the energy through the top of his head. Yes. And it was this long process that actually changed his skull. Yes. <laughs> through that. And I was reading this book, and I was like, oh, I'm so not at this point yet. <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that's more advanced meditation. See, that's the other end. Remember, the, the Taoists always talk about what? Heaven, earth, and us, mankind, right? Right, right. And they talk about the relationship between heaven, earth, and man. And so part of that relate. so I was talking about the relationship with the earth just now. Yeah. But there's a relationship with heaven, too. And by heaven, we're really talking about the heavenly bodies because there is an enormous amount of energy coming from the moon, right. the, especially the sun, the outer planets, and not to mention all the celestial bodies out there. Oh, yeah. In fact, we literally would not be here if it weren't for that. Oh, yeah. We kind of literally are all kind of stardust, right? Mm -hmm. They're the consolidated uh, plasmatic, plasmatic energies of the universe. There oh. is not a, oh, sorry, there's not an atom in your body that was not forged in the furnace of the there sun. There you go. So right. says Carl Sagan. Yes. And so, part, so the other part of the meditation is being aware of that. And actually feeling your connection, not only with the earth, with love, but feeling your connection with the heavens, too. So they talk about, the, you know, the, the ancients, you know, around the world. They talk about, you know, Mother Earth, Father Sky, or Father Suns in some, you know, Native American traditions. Mm -hmm. And they merge those two energies inside the human heart, and that leads to unity, consciousness, and love. Right. It's beautiful. Uh, I, I try to walk around feeling that connection as often as I possibly can, right. in fact, because that, that's really a big secret, is learning how to connect those two in your heart, and that opens doors that, without that feeling of uh, connection and love, those doors are forever closed mm -hmm. to you. So this is part of the advanced Taoist alchemy, right. actually. Oh, beautiful. See, so we, we just kind of jumped levels here. We went to something yeah, and, you know, that's actually pretty specialized. And I feel like the man that Chongsa is talking about right here, almost he didn't need the alchemy. He was just there, right? And us in, the, in today's world who are almost kind of disconnected yes. from this natural state of being need to develop those alchemical practices in order to get back to this spot where this man who is naturally <laughs> in and of and harmonious with everything, like uh, it's like uh, he, he knew nothing about loving life or hating death. <laughs> when he was born, he felt no elation. When he entered death, there was no sorrow. He was just kind of naturally 
flowing through life. Um, like almost I'd imagine my dog yes. wakes up every day. He's, he's, my dog never has a great day, never has a real bad day. It just is. Just think about dying. You just, yeah, it's just, it just is. Just natural state of being. Like when you're in flow, when you're, you're in that Taoist moment of flow, whether you're, you know, sometimes when, I, when, when I'm doing this in this show, now I just brought myself out of it, but you start the recorder, we have the things we're going to talk about, um, and you just kind of enter the state of being in conversation, and it naturally flows, there's no effort in it, and you're not thinking about elation, you're not thinking about life, death, you're not, you're just in this moment and vibing yes. and going, like playing music, you're in that natural flow. And this man that uh, Chong Tzu is talking about is in that natural flow every day, and he didn't have anything to break himself out of it. Yes. And it's a state that we're all trying to get to, and we, we don't realize it when we're in it, but when we're out of it, we realize how good it was when we were in it. You know? Yeah, I suspect that life was probably somewhat more, in, in, uh, more simple times back then, yeah. particularly for this so-called true man. In fact, uh, Chantu says, such a man has a free mind, a calm manner, and an unfurrowed brow. <laughs> mm. uh, wouldn't that be great these days? Oh, yes. You know, basically we're talking about someone who's not affected by stress. Yeah. You know, I recently wrote a book, as you know, on stress. The book of internal stress the relief. book on internal stress release, exactly. And so I think quite a bit about stress, and I work as a uh, clinical psychologist, and yeah. I see people uh, four and a half days a week who are typically coming to me in great distress. Mm. And as a result, they are feeling uh, emotionally unsettled, right? Depressed, anxious, um, dissatisfied with life, and have a lot of negative self-judgments about themselves and their lives and their world. And somehow I have to create a space kind of like this where that free person, that free man or woman hidden inside can find safety and emerge. Now, do you think, uh, as a putting the psychologist hat on, <laughs> uh, do you think that, say, you have, you have two people, um, I mean, it's no, no two people's lives are ever the same. It's, it's impossible. But if you had two people... One, both people dealing with the same exact situations in life. Can one person be horribly stressed and the other person be stress-free in the same circumstances? Absolutely. You know the old saying, one man's meat is another man's poison? Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. See, so a lot depends on the individual, their natural, genetic, and biological makeup. You know, the, the, ancient, the, 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 the oldest argument in psychology and in philosophy about human kind human nature is what nature nurture yeah you know are we a product of our biology and our genetics were we just born that way right or is it the environment and our upbringing and you know religion and education and the media the government and everything else and other people telling us things you know what what makes the the, the man what makes the woman what right. makes the human being now obviously we're a blend of both mm-hmm and, but with some people, one or the other takes precedence. Mm -hmm. For example, some people are born with severe genetic or biological impairments that determine much of the direction that their life is going to take. Yeah. There's just no way around that. Right. You know, other people may be born uh, essentially uh, with a typically developing uh, uh, neural system, mm -hmm. but then things happen. 
there's a uh, child abuse. They get abandoned, neglected, beaten. Now, that obviously has a huge impact as well. Right. So for that person, the circumstance, their, their birth, their, their biology was fine, but their environment was awful. Right. <laughs> you know? And so that had the, the larger impact. Of course, in most of our cases, you know, you know, the bell-shaped curve. Most of us are somewhere in the great middle, mm-hmm. where we had, a, you know, an okay birth and genetics and bio- biology, and we had, a, you know, an okay upbringing. You know, we had parents who pretty much, you know, cared for us or whoever our caregivers were, and you know, they weren't neglectful and abusive and you know, drinking and beating us every night and things right. like that, you know, and abusing us. And, and but yet, somewhere in there, we have to find our way. You know, we have to figure out, you know, again, the, the, the most vital questions. Who are you? Where did you come from? Why are you here? And where are you going? Right. What's your purpose? Mm-hmm. You know, we are meaning-seeking organisms. We seek purpose in our lives. And we like to look back at our, at our actions and our lives and our involvements and think that there's some meaning. And for most people, of course, the best meaning are those that are most resonant with our own inner nature. And when, as in Lao Tzu and uh, Chuan Tzu, of course, would also say that when that is also in harmony with the greater nature, you know, the nature of the Tao, if you will, then you are truly in harmony and you will have a very serene existence right. indeed. Now you're really, you're really singing, you know? <laughs> because you're in the flow. Right. You're in the flow. You're, you're doing what is naturally... Um, resonant with who you have discovered yourself to be and you live a life that allows others the same freedom. And the interesting thing about Taoism as compared to other spiritual traditions is other spiritual traditions tend to say, you need to be like this, Mm -hmm. you know, not Mm -hmm. don't Taoism is saying naturally express yourself and that will benefit others in your own unique way versus be this person who thinks this way, who is this way, yes. who gets up at this time of morning, wears this type of clothing, responds to the world in this way, dances this way, <laughs> doesn't dance. Yes. You know, that's the way other spiritual things are doing. Instead of unlocking the unique potential, it's trying to fit a square peg into a round yes. hole. It's like old American saying. Live and let live. <laughs> right. It's beautiful. Live and let live. There needs to be more of that. Uh, let's see here. Let's see. Carefree he went, carefree he came. That was all. He did not forget his beginning and did not seek his end. He accepted what he was given with delight, and when it was gone, he gave it no more thought. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And they, listen to this. This was the true man of old. He stood straight and firm and did not waver. He was of humble mien, but not servile. He was independent, but not stubborn. Open to everything, yet made no boast. He smiled as if pleased and responded to things naturally. His radiance came from his inner light. He remained centered even in the company of others. He was broad-minded as if he agreed with everyone, high-minded as if beyond influence, inward-minded as if he would like to withdraw from the world, and absent-minded as if unaware of what he was going to say. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? That's, I love that. Isn't I, that interesting? He was broad-minded as if he agreed with everyone. He, I, I love that because not, nothing's better 
then, you know, in entering into a conversation or meeting someone who is r- really into hearing your opinion on something or it, willing to accept new information or willing to change or willing to be open-minded. Um, but at the same time, he's, he's high-minded as if beyond influence and inward-minded as if he liked to withdraw for the world and <laughs> absent-minded as if unaware of what he was going to say. <laughs> and listen to this. He acted effortlessly, yet people thought that he was trying very hard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, that's a wu-wei. That right? is. Effortless action. Yes. Effortless action. It just flows. And because it's flowing and because it's natural, it has enormous power. Right, yeah. Without striving, without trying. Yeah, it's, and it's kind of like um, sometimes uh, people, you know, um, I can't, I will kind of lost my train of thought there, Dr. Totten. Um, Let's see here. Yeah, it's it's a man who just walks through this world completely naturally and uh, unencumbered and unstressed. And I think that's that's the person who we all want to be in some way. And I I think I always wanted to be – one of my goals in life is I always wanted to be the guy walking down the street that nobody knew what he did. (laughs) <laughs> you know, why is he walking around the street on a Tuesday? <laughs> you know, and who also happens to be phenomenally rich, but no one knows. <laughs> this is this is really powerful. This next part, and it reminds me first of all of of James Brown. <laughs> James Brown's always talking about everything being on the one, hmm. right? Like that beat that James Brown changed music because he put that kick and he put the emphasis. On on the one on that root note yes. on a four beat, boom. And he had a great scream. Boom. <laughs> but every groove it was boom, and then blah, 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 boom, blah, blah, blah. and it was like um, it was at uh, George Clinton, the funk music mm-hmm. guy, would talk to his bassist Bo- Bootsy Collins, who also played. Uh, with James Brown towards uh, in the late sixties, and. Uh, George Clinton would tell Bootsy, you could play whatever you want, just give me that one. Just that dong, and that, that's where funk music is, is right. on that one. Right. And, and the one is a place of unity. Yes. The one is the place where everybody on the dance floor hits the one, and then we all do our own thing, but we all come back on the one. Right. And the one... It's the centering point. Yeah, it's the centering point. It returns you to the... Well, you know, you see in that the symbol of yin and yang, mm-hmm. you see that, that big curve that goes through the middle right, right there. You know, they call that the ridge pole of, of the universe. Right. The cusp, right on the cusp of yin and yang, which gives you access, of course, to everything. Right. The totality of it all. Right. You know, if you're over at one extreme or the other, then you're going to miss all that heavenly glory is. Yeah. <laughs> Bruce Lee caught it in Enter the Dragon. Right. <laughs> you don't want to miss that heavenly glory. And the best way to get it is by being as this balanced middle connected to all and therefore adaptable so that you can flow as reality changes moment by moment and retain your balance. Mm. That is the nature of the Tao right mm. there. And, and the one is that harmony. Yes. And knowing that and seeing that, being able to quantify it. And as, as, the, as this, the Chongsa continues, what he likes is the one. What he does not like is also the one. 
That which is one is one. That which is not one is also one. He knows the one and is of heaven. He knows not the one and is of men. Mm-hmm. You know, and you ever, I'm sure you practice martial arts, so you know, but you ever really get hit in the head real hard? And you kind of knock out. Then you wake up, and the first thing you feel is the pain of being hit in the head. <laughs> you have like a concussion or ever been knocked out. I've been knocked out a few times in my life. That explains a lot, Todd. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of a neuropsychologist. Yeah, that explains a lot. Yeah. That, <laughs> it, not, nothing was uh, – it wasn't a fight, sadly. It was other stuff. Yeah, got, falling off your bike or something. Thrown <laughs> downstairs once as a kid. And, and, but, and then all, you only feel one thing. It's this universal thump of that pain, <laughs> and then eventually it dissipates into other. It starts with this, ow, you get that one, and then then it starts to divide out into where am I? Who is this Who around am I? me? <laughs> now there's this pain. Now I'm coming into consciousness in the universe, right? It's like waking up with a sore throat. You just feel that <laughs> sore throat, and then where am I? I'm in a bed. I'm doing this, and now there's now you're now you're into the ten thousand things from the one. And as, as uh, Transu goes on to say, the great earth burdens me with the body, causes mm-hmm. me to toil in life, eases me in old age, and arrests me in death. That which makes my life good makes my death good also. Mm. <laughs> Talk about going with the flow and not being attached. Right. That and, which makes my life good makes my death good also. Yes. Yes. That is beautiful. All right, let's get just a little more, and then we will conclude today. I, I highlighted this part. This is pretty deep right here. This is, I had to reread this about five times, and I'm not sure exactly what it means, but it, it's heavy. <laughs> Dimwits do not understand that no matter how well one hides small things in larger ones, there's always a chance of losing them. But if you hide the universe in the universe, there's no way to lose it. <laughs> this is the ultimate reality. <laughs> Think about that next time you meditate. Hide the universe inside the universe. You know, I, and remember he spoke about hiding things in small in what small places. Yeah. You know, you know if if you take the the, the low road, so to speak, and. Um, aren't really being um, connected with the great Tao, then by adhering to small things and petty things, again, like we've been talking about, there's going to be pushback. You know, you're not going to be inclusive. You're going to uh, kind of paint yourself into a corner that's really difficult to move and step in harmony with other people around you. But if you abide in the Tao, if you abide in the great universe itself, then you have taken in the totality of yin and yang, mm. and you are allowing everything to find its own inner balance in harmony with what is resonant for each tree, each animal, each person, each uh, everything that's in existence. You've created the space in your own heart for everything and everyone else to be in their own space, in their own heart as well. Mm. That, again, is the nature of the, the true nature of the death. Mm.